Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter, Discord, and I don't, I think that's it for right now. Right. Yeah. You don't want to overload yourself with too many social media handles. And I'm Brandon Dingus <laughs> uh, at Way of Brandalore on uh, Instagram, Twitter. And uh, according to you, that is my default Discord handle. Um, I just don't pay attention to it all that much anymore because uh, <laughs> I've got several different ones across like a dozen different Discord servers. So that's fair. Yeah, I don't keep track of it. Um, uh, but yeah, how you doing, Josh? Doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Uh, there's a high likelihood that over the course of this recording, we will hear Alex in the background of my recording, because as of tonight, uh, she is doing a live stream for the Trevor Project with the Guild of Grand Daughters. I will say that we've been on this call for about a half hour prepping, and I haven't heard anything from her in the last 10 minutes or so. Well... Before we started recording, I checked and the stream is in fact ongoing. So okay. I I feel like odds are good. I can't say with 100% certainty, but I feel like odds are good. For anybody who listens to QPR will know the, uh, the uh, trope of Alex peeking her mic whenever she's mildly amused about anything. So you'll get to hear it. You'll probably you'll get to hear it live uh, on over Josh's audio. There you go. Yeah, something something to keep your ears out for. <laughs> yeah, that that'll be a nice little Easter egg for you if uh, you really want to get deep into the into the lore on that. Um, uh, Josh, you'll notice behind me that I have moved my Mortal Kombat Multicade into camera view. For anybody who's watching this on video, you'll see it. And I did that uh, specifically to, for you tonight because what I've done is I've turned it on and just let it run in attract mode. So your high score will cycle off of the high score list. <gasps> Did you finally beat me? No, I didn't. But if I leave it running in attract mode, it'll replace all the existing high scores with the same score, but with uh, the initials AAA. <laughs> <laughs> so JJM is on its way out. Ah, uh, you're trying to wipe me from the record. I see. Yeah, I'll just exactly. have to come visit and crush my own high score. Yeah, I did. Uh, I tried to beat my Tempest high score the other day, but I was wildly unsuccessful at it. So, oh, well, I was just trying to unwind a little bit. I could not beat my 43,600 and some. I got very lucky that day. But anyways, nobody gives a shit about my arcade collection. So <laughs> um, what are we talking about today? Well, today we've got a couple of topics. We're going to be talking about uh, what's the what's the actual name? I keep wanting to call it Keys from the Golden Vault, and I don't know that that's accurate. That is right. I was waiting for you to say ah. something like Golden Keys from the Safe or something like that. <laughs> Gold Key Comics in the Vault. So 
So I'm going to I'm going to give people a little look into my brain here. I don't tend to remember things exactly how they're said. I tend to remember the gist of things and my understanding of them. So anytime I'm saying something with quote marks around it, odds are good that isn't a literal quote. <laughs> and this is why when I'm naming things such as a groats worth of grotesques, I will be like, oh yeah, the groats and grotesques book. That's And that's why Josh had to so bre imperceptibly briefly stop before he said the name of that book. <laughs> I have to really think about it to get these things exactly right. And if I don't, haven't used it a few times, odds are good I won't remember. Don't you have a copy of that book for me? Um... I don't know if I've got a copy. Oh, you know what? I think I do have a copy of that book. I thought for he you. sent us two. I I also have a copy of the Curious Village of Skio for us to be looking at. Also by G. Edward Patterson the third. Indeedly do. Yes. Um, um so we're gonna be talking about the keys from the Golden Vault. Uh Yes, he's of the Golden Vault. You said that with such suspicion in your voice that I actually had to look down at my notes to see if that was the, <laughs> the actual name or if you just were not getting it right. Uh, but yes, Keys from the Golden Vault. So we're going to talk about Keys from the Golden Vault. There we go. Mm -hmm. And additionally, uh, we're going to talk about the one D&D Unearthed Arcana for Druid and Paladin, which they keep calling it Unearthed Arcana, but it really feels more like playtest materials. And they describe it in a couple of places as playtest materials. So, I mean, that's really what know. it is. It, They're just releasing it in the Unearthed Arcana format because that's what people are used to, I think. Yeah, that makes some sense. I like how also I said, hey, why don't you find some stuff on that D&D &D movie that's coming out uh, to talk about? And you're just like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> listen uh we had that conversation on monday mm -hmm. and then yesterday when i was on my way home from work we had our goblin meeting and literally in the process of having the goblin meeting my brain and body decided that too much was enough and so it was time for time for me to go have a nap basically well wow, so fine. i got home I didn't do anything after I got home. <laughs> I had I had the capacity for a very little to nothing. Well, Chris Pine's got enough of my money anyway from one and a half unfulfilling Star Trek movies. So <laughs> I will likely go see the new D&D movie when it comes. But when this releases, it'll be like the actual release date for it will be like 11 days from now. It's coming out on the 31st. I'll probably go see it. Um. I will probably, probably also go see it. Probably. I went I, I went to the theater to see the Jeremy Irons, Marlon Wayans uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie in 2000 when I was in college. Um, I have a hard time believing that this one won't entertain me more than that one did. Um, but speaking of that weekend, by the way, um, just get this out of the way up top uh, for anybody in Richmond. Goblins and Growlers is going to be at GalaxyCon. We're going to be running the tabletop room. We'll have a booth set up in there and we're doing panels. So come by and see us. Uh, we'll be running like four games uh, over the course of the weekend. Don't know the schedule for that as of the time we're recording this, but check our social media, check the discord bit.ly slash goblin discord, and you should be able to find it in there. I'm sure Alon will probably put it on the Instagram too, once we know it. 
Um, you can also check out our link tree, which is linktr.ee slash is that goblins growlers or goblins and growlers for him? It's goblins and growlers. Okay. So linktr.ee slash goblins and growlers, all spelled out. And that when we're when we've actually got our complete schedule, we'll have our schedule on it. Yeah, and it's a good thing you mentioned the link tree. Uh, because we don't usually pitch it and it's a very handy thing to know because it usually has all our relevant links on it. I'm going to put it at the top of the show notes. Uh, so if you're listening to this, you can just check those out and I'll put probably I'll put it in bold and put some arrows pointing to it because the other thing is Goblins Growlers is launching a monthly email newsletter and it's going to be uh, focused on like gaming news, recommendations of indie games and we'll drop some stuff in there about some stuff we're doing, like where we're going to be, whether it's at GalaxyCon or Triad or our regular monthly games. Uh, you know, that stuff's usually in the Discord as well. Um, and then also, you know, whatever kind of uh, advertisement of the podcast that we're doing or that we have done uh, in the previous four weeks. Like, oh, hey, in uh, this last one, we talk about, uh, you know, Dark Sun being problematic. You might want to check it out if you haven't listened to it. So. Uh, it's really short. It's like a one and a half, two minute read kind of thing. We're setting it up to be really quick because everybody's busy. We're setting it up to just be stuff that you need, stuff that you can use, just, you know, gaming news from stuff like Nord Games, Pathfinder, you know, Wizards of the Coast, obviously. And then we're going to try and recommend at least one indie game from like a niche.io sort of situation every month, but do it a monthly so it doesn't overwhelm people. Uh, occasionally, we might send you out a coupon or something like that if... If you sign up for the newsletter, uh, you will get a 10% off coupon for our booth at GalaxyCon or try at AnimeCon. So if you're going to be at either of those places, there's some incentive to sign up for it. Uh, but got all that stuff out of the way. Now we can actually get to real content. Oh, and I forgot to, you know what? Never mind. Because I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say the whole reason that I went down this, uh, that I went down this road is because like, I'll put the sign up link for the newsletter at the top of the link tree. There we go. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, talked yeah. I talked myself into a maze and couldn't get out of it. <laughs> I was going to say um, the newsletter is something that we've tried to do a couple of times and we found it to be more work than we were willing to manage at that time. I think we found a couple of ways to refine it so that it's not a lot of work and also so that the content is relevant to folks. So if you already like our shows, you already like our events, then this should appeal to you because we've we've really honed it down to the stuff that would appeal to you. Yeah. Like I said, my goal is to keep this at like a minute and a half, two minute read and then have links on there. If you want to go deeper on anything, you certainly can. Precisely. Yeah. So, uh, Josh, what do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about you got? Do you have to unburden yourself on this play test material? I don't for a change. I don't need to unburden myself. Okay. There's, Mark that down on the calendar. Josh is not upset about some <laughs> UA that he's talking about for the podcast. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves and make it sound like I'm satisfied with the UA. There's still issues with it, I would say. But given that this came out two weeks ago as a recording and it will have been out for close to a month by the time this episode releases, I suspect that folks will have heard from more than just us 
Right. This UA has a few problems within it. I've already been hearing some stuff about it. And admittedly, I have not really dug into it, but I've seen that, you know, it's, it's weird because usually for this kind of stuff, there's a real hot take one way or the other. But everything I've seen so far, people have been really sort of even handed in their feedback for it. Like, hey, you know, there's a little of this, a little of that. Uh, You know, this is fine. I question this, but, you know, whatever, let's move forward. It's very weird, especially after sort of the atmosphere that Wizards had created in the last like two and a half months to see everybody just sort of being so chill about this. Well, all right. It sounds like we're we're there. So I'm just going to dive in. Right. The reason I think you're getting a lot of that sort of feedback out of people is because there's nothing really amazing in here and mm-hmm. there's nothing really terrible in here. The The biggest thing that I think anyone could reasonably complain about is that uh, druids have a significantly worse wild shape in this new updated system. Talk to me about that. So... First and foremost, this is playtest material for 1D&D. 1D&D is compatible with 5E, but it's, it feels a bit like them saying, oh, 1D&D is compatible with 5E is uh, maybe a little bit of a misnomer because they've gone and rewritten. I hope it's not too much of a classes. misnomer because it's one of the foundational talking points <laughs> that they have for 1D&D. Well, here's the thing. The system still has a lot of the same terminology in it, but this this feels like I know I know that they hate when you call it this. This feels like 5.5 E. Uh huh. Can you use? Yeah, it is more the transition from Middle English to Modern English than from Old English to Middle English. Yes, exactly. There's. There's a lot of 5e in here, but they've changed a fair amount of stuff. For starts, um, just looking at the kind of like expanded rules list, uh, one of the things they talk about is changing inspiration. Uh huh. It is now called Heroic Advantage. Mm-hmm. It still works like inspiration works, but the rule set says that it gives you advantage on a d20 test. And that you I guess decide that's an to ability. So. I guess that's an ability check. A D20 test is defined as any time. Uh, let's see. I'll read it verbatim. The term D20 test encompasses the three main D20 roles of the game. Ability checks, attack rolls, and saving throws. If something in the game affects D20 tests, it affects all three of these roles. The DM determines whether a D20 test is warranted in any given circumstance. I recognize that this is just playtest material. And, you know, just to be upfront about it, I have not dug in really at all on the one D&D playtest stuff yet because I just haven't had a lot of time. But it's, it's very odd to me. Like, let's introduce this new term to be an umbrella term for these three other things that we already know what they are. That uh-huh. seems that seems like a change for change's sake rather than anything that improves the experience of play. Well, it sure feels like the sort of thing where they're going to start working the words D20 test into, you know, oh, this should be a D20 test or this ability should affect D20 tests. I Uh, am right now Googling to see if D20 test (laughs) has been filed as a trademark at all. 
That's an excellent question. They do capitalize yeah. the T in test, so I wouldn't no. be entirely surprised to find that they have. Oh, oh, I was about to say, why is this not coming up? I was about to say, well, this is weird because the first, like the entire first page of Google results I got for that search were uh, information about deuterium oxide. And that's because Ooh. for whatever reason, I typed O instead of zero for D20 <laughs> test trademark. Um, but uh, this is all taking us down a rabbit hole because uh, I can't find any information about it. So I was probably okay. just jumping the gun on that. Well, that's fine. But so, it does it does sound like a new marketing thing that they're trying to do so they can talk about it a little sim more simply. So that's kind of the big thing that I'm seeing with this playtest material. They are creating some new terminology, changing things, not in a significant way, but significantly enough that it feels different. And then on top of that, um, they're adjusting a lot of how these mechanics work. So for an example, Druid Wild Shape, because this this playtest material, if I could speak English. Pacifically. No, that's, pacifically, that's how we speak around here. It pacifically I, I, I pacifically ordered biscotti, <laughs> waiter. <laughs> Me and my nuclear family <laughs> ordered Pischetti. Uh, so the one of the things that they changed is channeling nature for druids. Mm -hmm. It used to be that channel nature was here's wild shape. Here's maybe one or two other effects. Each of those has, you know, wild shape had two charges unless you were a circle of the moon druid or unless you were a specific level. And then there were things that changed those numbers. Now, channel nature is just one of the columns on your class features list. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at that table of features for a druid, you've got level, proficiency bonus, class features, and then channel nature immediately after that. And so first four levels, you've got two. Next four levels, you've got three. The rest of the levels, you've got four. Mm -hmm. And that goes for all of your channel nature abilities, including wild shape, but not limited to wild shape. So oh, okay. if you're the kind of druid that never uses wild shape, you can use those channel natures for something else. If you're the kind of druid that uses wild shape a lot, you get more than two. So it's like I said, with the rest of it, it's kind of nice. It's not like tremendous. It's not super exciting, but it is sort of a nice feature they're doing a lot less of like, okay, take this and then divide in half and then round up and then add four. They're trying to eliminate a lot of that, it seems like, from the rules because there's a lot more. Here's the explicit number. Here it is in a table. Just look at the number on the table and you're good to go. That's interesting because, you know, when 5e came out, the whole thing was like, we've simplified it so much. We've we've taken away so much of the complication. And I guess it just sort of speaks to an iterative process that you can only hack away so much and <laughs> at one time and have a functional game. And then you just have to yeah. go back and iterate again. Exactly. Which I will give them credit again. Uh, it is I know it's rare for me to give them a lot of credit. When you are looking at the class features mm -hmm. after the creation phase, but before they get into the actual class features themselves, there is one of those little like GM notes boxes. Mm -hmm. 
and it says multi-classing and the druid and then goes through everything you need to know about what do you need to have to multi-class into a druid what additional skill proficiencies do you get for multi-classing into a druid and then how do your spells add up as compared to other classes right which is something that I struggled with a lot when it came to multi-classing. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have a program doing the multi-classing for me, I was always like, wait, okay, so my spell slots are this plus that divided by this. And then this number goes over that number. And like, it's a nightmare. Yeah. The one I mean, thing I'm... they. No, go ahead. The one thing they didn't really help with is that you still need to prepare spells for each of your classes individually, referring to the spell slots of an individual class to determine the number and levels of spells you prepare. So I've got two spell sheets then. Kind of, yeah. That doesn't that seems like they're adding complications (laughs) rather than taking them away. But it also says, you know, Add all your druid levels to the appropriate levels from other classes to determine your available spell slots for casting spells as detailed in the multi-classing rules. So for, for classes like Paladin, where you get fewer spell slots, it says add half of your levels rounded up. Right. For your spell slots. So it, I don't know, it complicates things a little bit in one way, but it also makes those rules a lot more accessible and easy to understand because I'm not literally flipping back and forth from the multi-classing section to the druid, back to the multi-classing section, back to whatever my primary class is, back to the multi-classing section. Right. <laughs> like, oh, uh, this is so complex. This is why I don't play casters. I never have. I mean, I mean fair. The big complaint about Druid, and I will agree this is kind of bogus, is Wild Shape is way, way weaker than it used to be. And it involves a lot less flavor. So now you get unlocks for one of four varieties of Wild Shape. There is Animal of the Land, Animal of the Sea. Mm hmm animal of the sky and then elemental animal so like a vulpix or something uh the concept is that once you're a certain level you add elemental damage to your animal forms okay but you get to choose what kind of elemental damage you're adding as you shift into your animal form is it still based on like you have a like a CR cap per level. It's no longer a CR cap. It is now a stat block. Okay, and you, so you have can just like the one stat block. So if I'm level one, I can pick a bear and just be a bear. As long as it is a small, medium or large terrestrial animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they have explicit stats that go with your bear. Right. Is it different than the regular bear stat block? Yep. Okay. So it's uh, so like an is it I'll, like a nerfed bear? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I so mean it's not really a bear. Speaking, yes. <laughs> it's not really a bear, no. 
it'll look like a bear because you're allowed to be any small, medium or large terrestrial animal, mm -hmm. but you're going to be animal of the land is your stat block. Okay. So I'm not going to do all of so these. So it's disguise self. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of, yes. I'm not going to list all of these out explicitly. I'm going to do animal of the land just as an example. If you all want to check out the rest of them, feel free to look up. I mean, it's it's the same as Unearthed Arcana. It's free to download, free to look at, free to comment on. Animal of the land, small, medium, or large terrestrial animal. Your creature type doesn't change. Armor class is 10 plus your wisdom modifier. Hit points. Here's, here's the thing that hurts a lot. As someone who has played a druid before, your hit points, you continue to use your hit points and hit dice. Okay. So shape-shifting into a different creature does not give you a second hit point chain anymore. Okay. If you get knocked out while you're in animal form, you're knocked out. Ugh. You don't shift back. That That is not as attractive to me <laughs> right? as the previous one was. Right. Um, your speed is 40 foot, uh, which is pretty fast for a bear, but decent. Uh, once you're fifth level, your climb is 40 foot. You've got strength and dex equal to your wisdom score. Your con, int, wiz, and charisma are all your scores. Now that the int, wiz, and charisma use your scores, that was already the case for Wild Shape. So that's not really changing anything. The con, though, used to go with whatever creature you were picking, which meant mm -hmm. that sometimes you were picking a beefier creature like a bear, and sometimes you were picking a creature that had a little more utility and skills. That's the other thing. You don't get the uh, special abilities of creatures anymore for shifting into them. So, well, all right. Wait. So does that mean if I shift into an animal of the sky, I can't fly? Because wouldn't that be a special ability? So animal of the sky is its own shift form okay that you unlock let me double check here i don't want to say it wrong ninth level okay i think that's still kind of in line because as i recall wild shape already had those limitations where you couldn't be a creature that has you couldn't be a primarily aquatic creature until you were i think it was seventh level right it's seventh level here and then you couldn't be a creature that is primarily a flying creature until you were ninth level. Right. Or at the very least, you couldn't use their swim speed or their fly speed. Yeah. And the only reason, even though I never played Druids, the only reason I know that is because of how, like literally the dozens of times Chapman has tried to wild shape in QPR into <laughs> a flying creature. Or a swimming creature at that one yeah. time. Yeah. What about an otter? Because they're like land creatures, but they can also swim. They're not aquatic in the sense of like fish or dolphins or something. I think the whole idea is that if you shift into an otter as an animal of the land, mm -hmm. you only have your run speed and your climb mm -hmm. speed. You don't get your yeah. swim speed unless you're an animal of the sea. And no jokes, anybody. I just I chose otter just randomly out of the air. Uh, by the way. S same as with bear. I just chose it randomly. <laughs> well, we and know I of your we know of your uh, 
love of the bear stat block. So that was yes. an obvious one. Yeah. Um, also, I want to correct myself before anybody can do so to me is uh, I said Vulpix earlier. I meant Evie. <laughs> well, no, because uh, I guess because you get to pick the elemental. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say so, Vulpix is an elemental small dog like creature. Yeah. No, I don't want anybody uh, throwing their Pokedex at me. On that. <laughs> uh so to to round out the last the last half of the stat block you get dark vision 60 foot you get the languages you know uh which is a little bit different i don't think wild shape right now is allowed to talk in wild shape form mm-hmm. um it, or at least yeah, rules as written you get a proficiency bonus equal to your proficiency bonus. You have you have the keen senses ability, which means you have advantage on wisdom perception checks. And then you get bestial strike, which is a melee attack, spell attack modifier to hit, reach five foot, one target, 1d8 plus wisdom modifier, bludgeoning, piercing or slashing. And then you get multi attack at fifth level, which allows you to make two bestial strike attacks. That's the stat block. That's it. Done and done. All right. Anything about Paladin? Um, so Paladin is kind of interesting because what they've done is they've made some stuff a little more explicit. Um, Oath of Devotion, for instance, which is one of the primary SRD oaths that you can take as a Paladin now has one of those, that same little kind of DM note block about, you know, how you can do multi-classing, but it's got another one that talks about what might happen if you break your oath, the sorts of things that you can do in character to maybe appease your God. And then under that, the tenets of the individual, uh, well, subclasses, but also the individual oaths. So uh, tenets of devotion, though the exact words and strictures of the oath of devotion vary, paladins of these oaths share these tenets. Honesty. Don't lie or cheat. Let your word be your promise. Courage. Never fear to act, though caution is wise. Compassion. Aid others, protect the weak, and punish those who threaten them. Show mercy to your foes, but temper it with wisdom. Honor. Treat others with fairness, and let your honorable deeds be an example to them. And duty. Be responsible for your actions and their consequences. Protect those entrusted to your care, and obey those who have just authority over you. And then the breaking your oath box talks a little bit about if you're doing things that are in direct violation of your oath and you're doing them willfully, your God might abandon you and you might have to move those levels into a different class. Um, Or you might be forced to take a more appropriate subclass by your GM, Mm -hmm. which I kind of appreciate because they talk sort of loosely in the book about, you know, well, these are what your oaths are, and you have to make sure that you adhere to your oath, but they don't really talk about the consequences of not adhering to your oath or even things you could do if something is like, okay, well, I know I'm supposed to protect people, but today uh, I was casting Divine Smite and I accidentally hit a bystander, like that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Like it wasn't intentional, but I did do something against my oath. What do I do about that? This actually covers that in a little more detail for you, which is kind of nice, I would say. None of this, none of the Paladin stuff is striking me in the same way the Druid stuff did. 
Well, the big the big complaint right now is that Wild Shape uh, is that's basically a huge nerf for Wild Shape. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating that that's a huge nerf. Some of the stuff I think is kind of nice doing channel nature as its own, almost like a special feature, like a channel divinity. Mm-hmm. I think that's nice. I'm for that. Having those sorts of features be part of that table of class features that everybody refers to when they level up. Right. It's kind of nice. Uh, makes it easy to refer back to and see where you're at and what you're doing. But having wild shape be significantly weaker is frustrating. Yeah. Um, the rest yeah, of it- Paladin stuff looks pretty much in line with normal Paladin. I just want to say really quick that having Alex on her stream while we're doing this is like when you're a kid and you call your grandparents and they're blasting the news super loud <laughs> on the phone. I don't know if anybody listening to this can hear it, but I can just very clearly hear Alex just reacting to things. When we started the call, I was like, Josh, can you shut the door to the office? And he was like, it is shut. It is shut. The way it's is fine. shut. Yeah. Uh, speak, I don't, friend. Do not do not enter. I don't know if the dead keep it, but the way is shut. <laughs> um, one big thing, and they took note of this uh, in this particular um, play test feature list, is that folks looking at the level 20 abilities were like, all right, these are kind of weak actually like these sort of suck and Mm -hmm. they make note of it in here. They're like, Hey, we noticed this. We understand that we're going to do some adjustments Uh, for this group. Here (laughs) is um, here are some kind of features that you might have as a choice. One thing of note is that you no longer have to stick to a uh, individual class to get level 20 features which okay. I think is frankly kind of cool however you do have to stick to a class grouping now class grouping that's not a thing that's in normal D&D 5e what mm-hmm. does that mean well what it means is that Wizards has decided that there are three types of classes okay. there are Experts, which are your classes that get expertise and are good at things and are kind of specialists. Those are your rogues, your bards, your artificers. They've got mages, which are your wizards, warlocks, sorcerers. And then you've got priests, which are Mm -hmm. your druids, paladins, clerics. I don't think I hit everybody. Um, I was going to say, oh, wait, where do like barbarians and fighters fall under that? Last, I'm forgetting the name of what they called that grouping. It Meat was shields. Like... <laughs> <laughs> they should just give in and call it that. <laughs> Warriors. That's the grouping I was missing. Mine's your... better. <laughs> Warriors are your barbarians, fighters, and monks. Um, are rangers and experts? Rangers are experts. That is correct. Okay. So experts ends up with four mages with three priests with three warriors with three. The idea is that if you want to be a 
warlock wizard multi-class, you should still be able to get caster epic level feats. Oh, I see. So if you're within the same grouping, everything just adds up. Now, I think there's some crossover options. And this is, again, this is playtest material. So this sort of stuff is likely to change. But uh, for Paladin, just as, a, just as an example, um, 20th level epic boon um, has, where is it? Ah. As a prerequisite, the subclass Epic Boon of Spell Recall, the prerequisite is 20th level and the Mage or Priest group. You gain the following benefits. Ability score increase, increase your intelligence, wisdom, or charisma score by one to a maximum of 30, and free casting. Whenever you cast a spell with with a spell slot of first, second, third, or fourth level, roll a d4. If the number you roll equals the slot's level, the slot is not expended. Okay. Alternately, Epic Boon of True Sight, 20th level priest group. You get an ability score increase for intelligence, wisdom, or charisma with the same limitations. You get True Sight within a range of 60 feet. I feel like we might be getting a little into the weeds it's a, on this. It's a little bit weedy, but... Mostly the point I wanted to make was that if you are sticking to a specific group or a specific combination of groups, uh, you can still get those 20th level ability feats because that's part of what that's part of what they're doing now. Right. Okay. I mean, that makes uh, like, at least on the face of it, that makes sense. Yeah, I I can understand that. Um, It. I guess it doesn't really like negatively affect multi-classing at all really it just gives you a benefit for doing it within the grouping yeah yeah okay so it's no it's 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 a net gain with no loss so right because if you were multi-classing you were already like okay well i'm not going to get the 20th level paladin specific feature right because i can't Um, well, just cause, uh, we're at like 38 minutes now. Um, what, what kind of closing thoughts do you have on this? I think a lot of people who are grouchy about the changes that they're making, I think it's worth keeping in mind that this is part of why a lot of us have been pushing physical books. This is a part mm-hmm. of why a lot of us have been like, listen, wizards can do what they want with one D and D. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep playing what I'm going to keep playing. And if they mm-hmm. decide to go a direction that I really don't want to follow, then I'm off to indie games. That still applies. That's still the case. That's still true. If you like the sound of the stuff that we've been talking about and you like the good over the bad, um, then go for it. Like, I'm not I'm not here to judge folks for playing what they're going to play as long as what they're playing isn't hurting the rest of the community. Right. My. Yeah. My big thing is that this is all playtest material. So if you like some of it and dislike the rest of it, uh, get in there and tell them that because all creators will do what they can to create what they think is best. And if they are incorrect and they're requesting feedback, then it's up to us to let them know, hey, I actually don't like this as much as you thought I might. And as it so happens, 
the day of release of this episode is also when they open this particular playtest up to feedback. So we'll include the link to the D&D Beyond page where we got this article from, or not article, but the uh, the rule set from in the first place. And there will be a link there where you can add your own feedback for everything that they're doing, whether yeah. you like it or not. Often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so transitioning out of that into more D&D stuff, <laughs> um, I uh, realized that we had never actually had a chance just with the craziness of everything lately to talk about keys from the Golden Vault, which I guess maybe like six months ago when we were um, we did an episode that sort of uh, talked about all the physical stuff that was coming out. We also with that, we had Noah on that episode. And we also talked about like one D&D. Uh, but we sort of went through all the books and everything that were coming out in 2023. And if I recall correctly, because I did not go back and re-listen to the episode, uh, Keys from the Golden Vault was the one I was looking forward to the most. And that has borne itself out. Um, it is a heist anthology, much in the same way that like Radiant Citadel was an anthology and Candlekeep Mysteries was an anthology. I have said it before, and I will say it until people stop listening to me more of these is what they need to be releasing. The average D&D campaign, and I'm using air quotes there if you're listening to the audio version, lasts six sessions. <laughs> stop pu stop just putting out campaign books that we're never going to finish. Um, these anthology books are great. Um, it's got 13 separate heists, and um, Chris Perkins, uh, I watched an interview with him talking about it and he called it he called it a burglar's dozen uh which i thought was very nice um but it's got 13 heists uh all set there's like a train heist there's a museum heist there's a musical conservatory heist that's the one Ooh. that perkins wrote himself um they they all have sort of different hooks and everything uh but i as i do when i go into most wizards books especially in the last like 12 months or so with uh, all the criticism that has sort of rightfully been leveled there. I've been going into them like, eh, like I'm really not sure how I feel about this. But uh, I just in the interest of expediency, I bought the electronic version of this for D&D Beyond. Um, so that probably that might have colored the way I'm looking at it just because I was able to just jump from section to section but I did read through it sort of chronologically for a while uh but uh it it just gets right into it it doesn't fool around it's like hey we're doing heists everybody knows what a heist is like everybody's seen a heist movie we don't have to belabor the point on this uh too awful much I have my page of notes here on my uh, on my white piece of paper. And uh, I also while we were talking and you couldn't remember the name of it earlier, I wrote down keys from the Golden Girls, uh, which <laughs> if somebody hasn't written a Golden Girls oriented heist since in the month since this came out, uh, they absolutely should. Yeah. And by the way, you know, we're recording this on the 8th. But um, by the time you listen to this, Keys from the Golden Vault will have been out just shy of a month. So I still feel like we're reviewing this relatively early, considering some of the YouTube reviews I see for things are like months after something has come out. So I feel really good about it. But anyway, getting back to this. Uh, first, I'll say, yes, I just bought the electronic edition, but absolutely go to your friendly local gaming store and buy the physical version of this because it is such a great 
book to have on your gaming shelf. Um, whether or not you end up using these, like there, there's like sort of a loose campaign you can play through all 13 of these. And I'll talk about sort of how that's set up in a minute. But, you know, obviously, ideally, you can take these and just drop them into whatever adventure you're running. But it doesn't have to be D&D. It's very easy to take these and just, you know, transfer the story beats over and use it with whatever system you want to use. Uh, it, it's absolutely worth buying. I'm going to go buy a physical copy of this. Um, the um, This is another one because, you know, it's time for my rant on box sets again. <laughs> um, this is another one that is perfect for a box set release. It's perfect for it. And I'll tell you why. Because of maps, because of planning documents, things like that. The Each heist has a player's map. It has like two versions of a player's map. It has like a really nice one for, well, not all of them, but most of them have like a really nice one uh, that's like the DMs. It's like your traditional thing where it's like the DMs map that's all labeled and everything. And then you have the player's version of the map that doesn't have any of the labels on it. They also have another version, which is like, the players scrolling out sort of the map on like a napkin or something like that. I mean, it's it's like polished. It's really well done graphic design, but it's designed to evoke the idea that they're sitting in the basement with like the blackboard behind them and they've got like all the principles and everything up there and they're using the information they've gotten from people to draw a little map for it and everything. It's fantastic. It would be amazing as a table handout for folks. And, you know, I know you can photocopy this stuff from the books, but it's not the same. Um, like, this would be great. You could have a package of invitation envelopes and pieces of paper that you could put in there to hand out, like when your party has to uh, steal or forge an invitation to get into a gala, which there are at least one or two in here that involve a gala because you can't have a heist adventure without offering the party the opportunity to scout or infiltrate by. <laughs> by showing like crashing a gala essentially but i know it's just like i'm just talking about like oh well they should go to the expense of doing the box for this so they can have like maybe like two dozen three dozen sheets of paper that you can hand out to people but it really enhances the flavor of play and everything like this is crying out for like a beetle and grim uh like hundred dollar release because the the way that the um campaign is threaded through this is the golden vault is actually like this guild like organization that exists like their headquarters is like sort of on like uh, uh it's on one of the other planes essentially but they um they right wrongs and support virtuous underdogs Ooh, um, robin yeah. hood energy and much like charlie's angels like if if the party is in their employ the party will receive a key and they've got a music box and they can insert the key into the music box and it'll open and it will give them their mission like like Charlie's Angels or Mission Impossible or something like that. And was, then once it's done, once it's done, the key disappears. I was going to say that sounds very like your mission, should you choose to accept it. But can you can you imagine like how cool it would be to have an actual music box and like you could just do it really cheaply like as like a USB speaker or something. And then the key is just a USB that you plug into it and it plays the mission. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. It would probably end up costing a lot, <laughs> but it would be amazing. But anyways, that's why I'm saying that this should be like Beetle and Grimm should do like some sort of 
box, like actual box set for this thing. It would be amazing. Do all the handouts, uh, age the paper, that kind of thing. Um, was, so anyway, it's getting. I was going to say you were talking about the concept of the music box being maybe too expensive to accomplish, but really a small speaker that runs off of a USB interface isn't tremendously expensive. And with 3D mm -hmm. printing, you could probably do something like that without spending an arm and a leg to do it. I don't know. It seems feasible to me. Yeah, I'm just thinking I'm just already thinking about ways this could be better, but it was very <laughs> good. Um, uh, so the the Golden Vault approaches folks for membership once that once those people have sort of established themselves as virtuous. Um, and my note when I read that part was. I like it and I don't like it. I like it because it creates sort of a narrative through line for all this. It makes it really easy to give your party essentially side quests like, oh, hey, you know, I know we were getting ready to go raid this tower, but you got another key from the Golden Vault. You know, you're, it's, you know, time to work for a living. Uh, but the idea that the Golden Vault is hiring like thieves to do these things to like right, like right wrongs like they're, you know, Sam Beckett and Quantum Leap or something like that. But it's you're almost by definition going to have a party of sneaky thievey type people that get into this kind of thing. And I know you probably, you know, you can probably have a really solid party mix for this and not just an all thieves campaign, but it seems to me like it was created specifically to, as an excuse to keep the party on the, on sort of straight and narrow, even <laughs> though the whole book is about stealing stuff. There's, there's actually one, one adventure in here. That's a reverse heist where you have to put something back. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was going to so say not, like in, not all of them are about stealing in those sorts of scenarios. I'm always like, I mean, that might be the way you wrote it, but I'm going to run it how I run it. Darn it. Right. Um, the Golden Vault can function as sort of a deus ex device for you. Like if the players get jammed up, uh, the the vault can send help. Um, uh, the first I also wrote down Bajoran terrorist cell because I've been watching Deep Space Nine a oh, lot no. lately, and the Gold Vault operates like one because they're compartmentalized and there are essentially cells within it. So if like one cell gets compromised, they can't compromise the entire organization because ah. you get like you get like a handler from the vault that uh, can actually help you out with things, interface with you in person, that kind of thing. It has. Um, statistics for rival crews because like it, it's really big on complications too it talks a lot about throwing wrenches at your party and making sure that nothing goes smoothly uh which is really the only way to run a heist and make it fun right. nobody likes a heist where everything goes smoothly unless really you're watching oceans 11 uh which is probably the best heist movie i've ever seen <laughs> i would say even oceans 11 has the perception of things not going smoothly Right, but it was a double, double, double fake. Um, so it's got that. It's got. Uh, it really tries to help flesh out the characters and stuff too, because it gives you a table to roll for motivations for all the different people who could be on a rival crew. Uh, it gives you a table for their statistics and things. Um, and talking about how they try to essentially bootstrap detail a lot in this, because it's a heist, so you're running fast. And as as the GM, you're going to have to think on your feet a lot for something like this. Um, the first adventure in there, it's a level one adventure called the Merkmeyer Malevolence. It's a museum heist. So all the guards at the museum, it's got like there's a table and it's got their name. It's got sort of a little 
quick bio about them, like why they're doing the job. Like this guy only works here because he has to repay a debt to so-and-so. This person was a veteran and they retired and got bored. So that's why they're guarding the museum and things. So it really does an excellent job of helping you to flesh out your world without having to do a lot of the work because you know how everybody knows how it goes. Like you put all this effort into creating a living, breathing world and then your party completely ignores what you put the effort into. <laughs> so this really helps you focus it a little bit. Has, has uh, Wizards oh, been listening to our panels on how to run better games? Because this is this is advice I've been giving for years now when you're creating NPCs <laughs> that you give them like just a little a little motivation blurb so that you know mm -hmm. why they are somewhere. And if the party decides to interact with them, you can be like, oh, yeah, uh, this guy's headed the grocery store for his two kids. So he has <laughs> he has two kids. He's very poor. He needs groceries like yeah. that's I've been giving that advice for years. It's I appreciate that they're I, doing this now. So I scanned through a lot of these, but the only one I sat down and really read all of because I, I kind of didn't want to spoil myself on all of it was the Merkmeyer Malevolence. And I'm going to just sort of go through my notes here. Um, it's like I said, it's a museum heist where you have to steal this egg. Uh, it's like an the egg of like an eldritch horror. Oh, and God. the whole the whole thing is like there's uh, an anthropologist who uh, very quietly was into the occult. And she realized that this like, oh, man, this thing, if it hatches and it's probably going to hatch really soon, uh, it might consume the town or even the world or whatever. So um, the party ends up getting involved in stealing it. One of and this is really my kind of adventure because it's basically the, the sort of adventure I like to write, like setting wise, because it's essentially the real world with sort of D&D &D and magic and stuff pasted on top because you've got an anthropologist who's working for a museum and they're trying to uh, like explain something, but nobody in the administration of the museum believes them because the, those people are all stuffed suits and things like that. And like all that's missing is a labor dispute. And <laughs> it would be it would be perfect. It would it would win. It would win my personal ENI award <laughs> if it had that in there. One of um, one of those rare occasions where it doesn't belong in a museum. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I do have an Indiana Jones reference later. Um, you just got ahead of me. Um, the, the game provides um, it provides a way for you to start this via a golden vault assignment or the anthropologist seeking out the party or a personal connection between the party and the anthropologist. So it gives you a lot of ways in. This is one that has a gala that you can go to for reconnoitering. Um, like you can steal a master key off of one person who's walking around with it, or you could, or you'd have to pick locks to get out of the common areas and things like that. Um, I talked about the table of guards with their personality and motivations. It's fantastic because it talks about like all, all that's missing are like the, the laser field, like the laser web. <laughs> um, cause it's like, there are alarm spells all over the place. Um, there's an arcane lock that triggers if you very if you very poorly do your Indiana Jones sandbag swap mm. onto it. Um, it had like their animated statues that uh, augment the guards and things like that. Uh, and then at the end of it, there's adventure hooks to continue on that story. Like if you don't necessarily want to jump to the next one uh, or you want to continue some of the threads because you've 
you know, built up your sort of own at the table lore on this. It gives you a couple places to go with it. But it was fantastic. And like I said, I only read that was the only one I read through word for word. All the rest of them I scanned through, but they all seem to be basically on that same quality level. Um, it, it's great. Like you got you got one where you have the party has to break into a prison fortress like I said, there's a um, there's a train robbery. There's a train heist for like a uh, a train that goes. Uh, it's a multiplanar train. Essentially, uh, you have to go to uh, essentially a nine hells casino and do a heist there for oh like, I God. think somebody's soul. <laughs> um, what? It's yeah, it's great. Uh, you should 100 percent pick this up if if you can only buy one D D supplement this year buy this one like like from actually from wizards buy this one um that is of course if you like heist games it's not everybody's thing maybe you would rather have the book about giants or something like that but this for me like a, a few years ago i did a um i was hired to dm for a bachelor party and i wrote a heist adventure for it and reading through this stuff has made me get that out and go back through it. Um, it's like a 37 page document that that I wrote all that on because it's in multiple phases and everything. But it's inspired me to go back to that and really start polishing it, editing it, cutting it down and making it a much more sort of targeted fun adventure. Um, uh, it this reading this and this is going to sound like I'm overselling it a little bit, but I'm trying not to. Uh, reading this made me excited to write 5e adventures again, uh, which was lately something that had felt a little bit like a slog for me. Uh, but this has sort of given me a fresh infusion of energy and ideas. Um, and that's another reason that I didn't read through everything is because I didn't want to accidentally find ideas that I would be stealing. Uh, but get this book. This, you know, I'm usually not this effusive about these things, but this is very well done. It's fantastic. Chris Perkins, uh, you did a fantastic job. And uh, Amanda Hammond, who's the senior, who's a senior designer on D&D, worked on this as well. Um, I think they were the two like primary editors on it. Fantastic. Very well done. I will say going back to something you said earlier about like you can pick a pick a character's pocket at the gala or else you have to pick locks to get through mm -hmm. multiple areas. I love stuff like that where it's like, okay, you're here for this one purpose, but there's a couple of things that if you maybe take a little extra risk, there's a little extra reward in mm -hmm. it for you. Not necessary. You don't have to, but it might make your life easier later if you take those risks now and succeed. And like, mm -hmm. I feel like they've been doing more of that kind of writing in the modules that I've been looking at. And I just I, I appreciate that so much because for such a long time, it was basically like, OK, you either succeed at this or you fail and your life gets harder. And it's right. like, I <laughs> why? Hey, though? All right. So, hey, this is interesting. So I, I did go to the credits page on mm -hmm. this. I was one of the things I was complaining about. I didn't say this out loud, but I was a little upset that I couldn't find the credits anywhere because normally they're um, like in the front of the book. But on the digital version, they're not. You have to go to uh. the actual credits page, which is at the end of the table of contents. Yeah, Amanda Hammond and Chris Perkins were the project leads on this. And as I scan through here, um, I see that one of the consultants was Maat Crook, 
uh, our friend oh. uh, who we met at GalaxyCon many, many years ago. They, I believe, have since won an Eni Award. I think that's correct. They're wonderful. I enjoyed spending they time are. with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Alan and I got uh, lunch with them uh, during like the Saturday of that GalaxyCon. But that that only makes me like it more. Um, yeah, like actually well, knowing someone who is involved in it. Well, they've also been running and writing Adventurers League games for quite some time now. So oh, yeah. I'm not oh, entirely yeah. surprised to find that something that's a little bit more table accessible, they mm -hmm. have a hand in it. Like, yeah, they're I think that's one of the benefits of being someone who plays a lot of games and writes is that you don't have you don't have the concern of. Yeah, I run this for my at-home group, who is the same group of people I've been playing with for the last 15 years. And so I know right. I know all of their, you know, little idiosyncrasies in and out. And I've written this adventure to be great for them. Uh, if you're playing yeah. Adventurers League games at conventions, especially like you, you know, a thing or two about having a broader appeal just yeah. generally. Doing what we do and writing and running adventures for strangers just randomly taught me so much more about writing adventures oh yeah than just than just dming for like one group for years would have ever done it's like if you can get over your social anxiety i advise anybody to get out there and do it yeah it's it is challenging and sometimes it can be very frustrating but it's also very rewarding in a lot of ways yeah um the thing i'll end with is uh, the cover art for the non-variant version of it uh, is a couple of folks uh, repelling in from like a dome light uh, to steal a, like a cello, uh, it looks like. Um, I really think this is probably the one where they have to steal a musical instrument from the conservatory, which is the right. one Chris Perkins wrote. And I wonder if it's a coincidence that that's the one that they're using for the cover. But, <laughs> you know, ultimately, I don't care. It's a great book. Buy this book. Did I did I miss your Indiana Jones reference or did you not get around to it? I did get around to it when I was talking about the bag of sand. Oh, oh, oh OK. I honestly, that's become so common in just like pop culture nomenclature that I didn't even conflate the two for a moment i was just like oh you, yeah the bag of yeah. sand thing you remembered poorly <laughs> well, next time i have next time i have an indie reference i'll just kill alfred molina oh yeah oh uh, yeah um josh do you have anything else any other comments questions on uh, keys from the golden girls uh, I don't know that I've gotten any other comments or questions on keys from the golden girls. I am keen to check that out and kind of see how, see how things are going. Um, I think the one comment that I've got is the radical change from wizards of the coast is revoking OGL 1.0 a and instating their new, uh, more iron fisted OGL, that they're going to be restricting people like what they can make and making money off of people who are already making money to where we're at now, where I'm like, I could go see the D and D movie. I could go pick up keys from the golden vault. Like I'm okay with all these things. These are, these are, I think 
I'm having an easier time separating the people who are working on these projects from the big wig executives who were making these kinds of decisions, especially after hearing from Kyle Brink himself that uh, a lot of the people who are on the design teams weren't in the room for a lot of the conversations about the OGL when it was a, becoming a problem. Yeah, I mean, Lord knows I'm not uh, like an apologist for Watsi because they've had a lot of problems that they've had a lot of trouble addressing. And, you know, it's it's an ongoing process uh, there. It's it's an evolution for them. It's it's ongoing. Yeah. But but I I felt especially with like the way things changed and stuff like that, I felt like it was really more of a Wizards versus Hasbro kind of thing like. Um, to me, it felt like it, I mean, it felt corporate. It felt it, like it felt like a very stuffed shirt response. And I think that's why so many people were shook by it, because with the the sort of accessible, friendly atmosphere that people like Jeremy Crawford and Chris Perkins had been trying to build, especially as they were navigating all this like rocky bullshit that they frankly should have fixed before it became a problem. Yeah. Um, for all of a sudden, for everything to go that way, it just didn't it didn't feel like the same company. So I feel like that was more of a capital B business response. And Wizards knows their audience better. And they were probably just frustrated. Like. When you have a boss who doesn't understand what you do and how what you do is different from what they've done, it's very difficult to translate that. It's like if you're in sort of a, a middle management position there, which, you know, the the head of Watsi in that, from that perspective is in a middle management position. Like you have to do your best to be a Rosetta Stone to translate from, from your audience up through your frontline managers to you like what they want and then have to convert that into sort of linear B and give that to your boss who ultimately answers to shareholders and things like that. It's very complicated. It's um, there's no rest for the, for the Watsi executive in that situation. It's a very thankless thing. So I like, I, I sympathize. Yeah. I think just as, just as a little bit of a, a side note, this is you and I doing supposition. Um, we don't we don't have like secret backroom knowledge that that's exactly how things went down. But that does definitely feel like how things went down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we were like we were talking about that when it was going on. We how it just felt so strange. Yeah, we, we absolutely were. I just want to make sure that uh, we clarify these things a little bit as to not give anyone uh, including any people affiliated with wizards who might be listening the wrong idea. <laughs> but speaking of wizards, buy keys from the golden vault. Yeah, it sounds like a wonderful book. I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you have anything else, Jeff? Uh, no, I think that covers everything I wanted to get into. As per usual, uh, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast. And also, if you don't mind, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers Gazette newsletter. Um, you can sign up for that uh, at the top of our link tree, linktr.ee 
slash goblins and growlers. Uh, it's monthly. It's not going to spam you, not going to annoy you. Also, join the Discord, bit.ly slash goblin discord. Uh, we'll be at GalaxyCon uh, the weekend of March 24th, 25th, and 26th. Yep. And then we'll be at Triad Anime Con just outside of Charlotte, if I recall correctly. Um, I sh- I'm going, so I should probably figure that out. <laughs> um, the following weekend. So like the 31st, the 1st, and the 2nd. I'm I'm looking up Triad Anime Con right now to see exactly where it's at so that we'll know for sure. It mm-hmm. is at the Benton Convention Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Oh, uh, Scott, cut out that part where I said that it was uh, outside of Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, Winston-Salem well, yeah, is technically. outside of Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny. I was putting the newsletter together yesterday and I like had I searched for and typed out Winston Salem <laughs> when I was confirming where Triad was. Um, so that's on me anyway. So, yeah, if you're in Winston Salem, uh, the last weekend of March slash first weekend of April, uh, come see us there. Hell yeah. What we're, a cl- what a cluster. We're right. we're excited to see folks at the many conventions uh, if you see any of us in early April and we look a little zombified, you know what's up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to us. We ran a little bit long today, but we appreciate it. Um, and we will catch you in a couple weeks. Sounds good to me. Bye, y'all. Bye. like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you